Hi everyone, it's Vicki Basilica from the ASHP section of Clinical Specialists and Scientists. And I'd like you to welcome you to this special episode of Therapeutic Thursdays. Once again, I am excited to share some of the great clinical content that was a part of the 2020 Mid-Year Clinical Meeting. Please enjoy this highlight and be sure to check back soon for more features. So why are teams so important? So we know and I think we've all probably have experience being on one of those teams that haven't worked that well. Um, and being on an ineffective team can be detrimental for many reasons. And thinking about the institution, specific, uh, institution specifically or department specifically, by having ineffective teams, we can have the achievement of the organization, of the group is not able to be achieved. So that also can lead to lack of growth in the department, lack of progression for the individuals or maybe the, pharma the pharmacy group in particular. Now, a lot of challenges in the workplace can come from the maybe what's going on in the institution itself. There has been a lot of focus and we all can benefit from professional development and how we improve ourselves as individuals to minimize that risk of burnout. But I think it's also really important to take a step back and think about what may be going on in the workplace and how those changes could potentially be, how changes could potentially occur in order to help foster an environment where teams can be successful and also individuals can be successful. And so some of the challenges that can help minimize effective, help minimize the chances of a team being effective is there's growing complexity of our responsibilities, right? We have new technology, which we need to implement regardless of what area of pharmacy we are in. The cost of drug prices is from the inpatient perspective of controlling those drug prices versus myself and others who practice in the ambulatory care experience in the ambulatory care arena, ensuring that we can have um, cost-effective medications for our patients and assuring they can afford it. And my other two colleagues who are on this call, dealing with transitions of care with these higher cost medications as well. And there's so many ways that life has become so much complex for us. And that really can impact how things are at work compared to maybe five, 10 years ago. We also see increased workload. We always say, if it's going to fall to somebody, might as well give it to pharmacy, right? And I'm sure everyone has ha heard that sentiment or has had similar sentiments in their time. And now looking at, right, we've constantly undergone budget cuts or other areas where workload goes up and maybe the number of people there to support it are, go down. We can have shortages and people leaving the institution and that can prevent, hold a team from being successful moving forward. Limited resources also play a role in this, right? Do you have enough people to help you um, achieve what you need to do? Do you have the technology to do the projects maybe that you want to implement within your practice? We also think about there's a lot of administrative responsibilities that unfortunately we may not have individuals to help take some of that work off of us, such as scheduling meetings, um, doing some of the administrative responsibilities for the residency program. If you're involved as a residency program director or coordinator, just because we're not able to have, may not be able to hire or have those resources. And then as we know, people 
no matter our best intentions, we can see work conducted in silos. I'm sure you've all been in that situation where so you're putting a proposal together or you're working on a project and you're getting ready to bring it forward. And it's like, oh, hey, Joe and his group over there are also doing the same thing. And then by having that work conducted in silos versus joining together, that can be a challenge. And a lot of that comes down to that work being conducted in silos comes down, can come down to um, poor communication. So what are the consequences of ineffective teams? So there can be premature decision-making. So think about how many times has something been decided where it will be, okay, pharmacy can take this on, right? Without really thinking of the pharmacists who are maybe involved. So take, for example, a new patient education program is going to be implemented at your site. There could be decisions that are made from above and maybe not even with pharmacy and likely with not pharmacy leadership involved in saying, okay, Pharmacy is going to start doing these, this education. And by not having the right people at the table for those discussions, the right members at the team and understanding priorities, decisions can be made without recognizing the impact it may have on the individuals who be taking care of that or logistical challenges. We've all been on a team which someone is not playing their role, right? And that can create personal, that can create tension in teams, it can create frustration among team members, and that may stay with you, right? If, especially if you were burned and we're walking in a team, that can really stay with you. And as holding on to that can make you um, trepidatious moving into that next team. And then ideas can be ignored or overridden. So, you know, when I was early in my career, I've been in my, um, my place of employment for 15 years now. So I feel much more confident speaking up. And I can't say that my um, ideas would ever have been ignored or overridden, but I can imagine if I was in an institution where I was in a team and someone was it, if I saw other people's ideas not being even considered, I definitely at that point early in my career would have never felt confident enough to speak up. And so therefore good ideas, practical considerations may not be considered. Someone can be on a one track mind of this is what's gonna happen. The person leading it knows what he or she wants. And by not listening to those other ideas, um, that can lead to frustration and that can lead to not the best execution of a project. And then of course we can have uncoordinated or duplicative efforts. And by having that lack of planning, that can lead to projects not executing well or having to go back to square one because you didn't anticipate all of the things that could have potentially gone wrong and planning for them. We can't ever plan for everything, but really taking that time as a, as a team and thinking through all these things that can help us be successful moving forward. So there's so, there are benefits, right? We talked about the, um, in the challenges with team, but there are a lot of benefits, right? Think about that group that you work with, right? That has really made you excited to come to work. These, my co-presenters and those others two um, colleagues of mine who I mentioned before, they make me enthusiastic about my job. Um, and so do others that I work with. My co-course manager for a course that I run, by having a team that you know you are gonna work well with, they can increase your enthusiasm. I mean, you could probably tell the smile on my face as I talk about 
um, Dr. Hebner, who's my co-course manager and my colleagues here on with me is they really, really can bring out the best in all of us, help us improve and make us excited about what we do. And by having good foundational teams and following uh, the best practices and creating a team, you can see improved organizational performance, right? If you take the time to work together from the ground up in developing something, achieving goals, your likelihood is going to be much, it, you're gonna be much more likely to be successful. Teamwork, when it works well, has shown to increase workplace engagement. Failure to have structures in place and have that teamwork in place plays a huge role with turnover within the institution and dissatisfaction. And so it also promotes these po positive work-related outcomes. So when you're part of a team, you're gonna work that much harder to help, the, and you work with a good team, you're gonna work that much harder, or the, I should say most of us are gonna work that much harder to ensure the success of our team and making sure that we are achieving what we are set out to do. So what are other potential benefits of creating a team, effective team? So, and having a team that's going to be together for a long, longer period of time can really be helpful in achieving short and long-term goals. When we think about things that we are appointed to, maybe at our institution or within our organization, Sometimes, and there are reasons for this, it's a one, it is a one year term. But when we have the opportunity, such as maybe a residency advisory committee or committee within your pharmacy department, such as your pharmacy and therapeutics committee, or your anti, if you have an anticoagulation task force, and the goal is to keep that group together for two years, three years as with, um, maybe bringing some fresh people in to provide some new ideas, having that substantiated team and, and now allows you to develop both short and long-term goals. Because we know everything, what can't occur, we can't get everything we set out to do typically in a one-year period. The creating um, an effective team promotes innovation and progress. So, and it gets you to try new things, right? There is no way without the team that I'm gonna talk about in the next slide that I would have ever felt confident enough to write a blog post for myself or to post one to ASHP Connect. But it's because of my team has given me that confidence to do that and try new things, it, it's really helpful. Um, and as my co-course manager um, and I say, we sink or swim together. So we're gonna try new things in our course, but if something goes wrong in our course, it doesn't matter if I forgot to do something, she forgot to do something, we both do it. There's no pointing fingers and there is, we messed up, right? There's no, like they say, there's no I in team. So having that strong team allows you to take risks and take changes to try new things to promote that innovation. And then you can um, allow for the equivalent distribution of workload, which we're going to talk more about, because that definitely can be a point of contention and challenges with team when people feel like they are not doing the same amount of work. And provides a supportive network, right? So I think of the greatest teams that I have worked with um, throughout my career, even people who I no, may no longer be at the institution with which I work, those people who I was able to work with and create those effective teams, I know that they are always gonna be there for me 
um, professionally if I ever need their assistance or need their insight. But then sometimes you can form some of the most wonderful personal relationships as well. We don't all go to, we don't necessarily go to work to make those um, personal relationships, but that you know that you have, you can form those relationships and you know that people will be there for you when you need them. And then it's a buffer against burnout. Um, and so I think that's a really important element of the importance of having teams. So my role is going to be to describe to you the five principles of a high functioning team. And I, I want to tell you and be very forthright that I, I got most of this from an article, one of which you see here in the references, that honestly I think is a really good quick read uh, about some kind of evidence-based um, principles for working within a team. You know, we're in a cardiology sphere and we operate kind of under this realm of evidence-based as much as we can. And uh, I think you'll find a lot of that in the article that's cited here. Um, so the five um, principles that we're going to talk about are shared goals, clear roles, mutual trust, effective communication, and measurable processes and outcomes. So let's kind of walk through these and talk about uh, what each means, and we'll try to pull in examples from the Atrium Cardiology Collaborative uh, to support them. Uh, the first is shared goals, and I've titled this work Smarter, Not Harder, which is one of my favorite sayings because at the end of the day, we can be more efficient, um, we can essentially do more with less of our time, um, but then it also is kind of a nice play on words because of the SMART acronym that you see here. Um, this is a, a well-described acronym to kind of shape and help you create more robust and meaningful goals, not just individually, but as a group, and so SMART stands for specific measurable, attainable, relevant, and time-bound. Specific, we mean it needs to be spe specific, not general and vague. And I'll give you an example of what a specific objective looks like in a little bit, but the more vague it is, the more open it is to interpretation by various uh, uh, members of the team. And the more open for interpretation it is, it's probably not a good thing to make sure everyone is, is striving for the same thing. Secondly, it needs to be measurable. There needs to be something objective and tangible tied to it. And the more objective and measurable that endpoint is, um, the, the more likely you are to be successful at it. But the more you feel like you're, you're actually going towards something, you know what your end goal is. Um, and then the other part of this is that you can look back and say exactly what it is that you accomplished. Uh, attainable. It needs to be something that you can attain. Certainly we want to have a stretch goal, something that's going to push us out of our comfort zone, but it should not be so easy to attain that we don't have to work at it. And it can be very challenging, especially as a maybe a newer practitioner or a newer team working together, to figure out what that right balance is. I would say early on Atrium had some very lofty goals and we had to, to scale it back after a couple of years to, to make more attainable goals. Um, the R is for relevant. It needs to be relevant to the mission statement and the values of your team. If you don't have a mission statement or you don't know the values of your team, that's kind of your first step. But once you do, your goal should be relevant to meeting that. And then T is time bound. Um, you need to have a finite endpoint on when the goal is to be accomplished by. And again, this is helping keep everyone on track and towards the same goal, the same target, if you will, which is why I made the icon a little target but that everyone's going towards. Um, so I want to talk a little more about creating um, these SMART goals. And I, if I had to say the single most 
influential kind of moment, if you will, within the Atrium Cardiology Collaborative. Um, it was when we decided to have our annual Atrium Retreat for the first time. And the reason that I think this is so important and influential for us is because it was what I call a strategic pause. It, it was a moment where we said, okay, we're going to block off an entire day and we're just going to talk about goal setting. What do we want to achieve over the next year? Are we really all on the same page? What are What is our mission and our values? We need to revisit that and make sure we're all working towards the same thing. And since we did the atrium retreat and kind of hit the pause button and had our first strategic pause, um, we've done it every year since. And, and I think everyone would agree it's one of the most fruitful things we do all year because it sets the tone for the next 12 months. Um, when we do this, we make sure that we schedule no other meetings. We go off-site somewhere where people can't bug us and, and come down or come knock on our doors. We strategically, intentionally separate ourselves from the hustle and bustle and chaos so that we can, we can just talk about uh, what it is that we as a team, as a group, want to accomplish. A, a great example of something fruitful that, that came from uh, one of our retreats is we made a collective group decision to stop doing something. Um, if you follow us or follow Atrium Cardiology Collaborative, you may know that we have YouTube videos, um, which were quite successful and have many, many views. However, as a group, we came together and realized it was taking so much of our time that it was no longer worth it. And that's a decision that's allowed us to do other things with the time that we otherwise wouldn't have had. And it's also a decision that I don't think we would have made had we not collectively come together with the strategic pause, if you will, to talk about. All right, so let's talk a little bit about um, maybe some more examples of shared goals. And so again, when we met for our retreat, we create goals like this. We're very intentional about trying to follow the SMART acronym. So this is an example of a goal of ours. Attain 3,000 Twitter followers by July 2021. It's what, seven, seven words, that's it, right? But it meets all of the SMART acronym criteria. So first and foremost, it's measurable. We said 3,000 followers, that's very objective and measurable. I looked earlier today and we had about 2,700 followers. Going to throw out a plug. If you want to follow us, we're at, at AtriumRx. You're welcome to follow us. We would love, love it if you followed us to help us reach our goal. Next is it's specific, right? We didn't just say, oh, we want to expand our social media outreach. No, we were very specific and said, okay, Twitter is a focal point. It's where we feel like we have our best audience. So that is where we're going to focus on. And so we said attain 3,000 Twitter followers, not just, oh, expand our social media presence. Uh, it's also time bound, right? We said by July 2021. Again, if you follow us, you'll help us meet that goal by 2021. And then lastly, it's attainable and relevant. Um, you know, when we started off, we had somewhere in the order of 2,000 or a little less followers back in, in July 2020. And so we knew that increasing by about 1,000 over a year was attainable. It would be lofty, um, but it would push us and, and we felt like it was attainable. If we said increase to 2,200 followers or 2,500, we felt like that was too easy. So trying to find a good balance. And then lastly, it is absolutely relevant to Atrium Cardiology Collaborative's mission and, and our values. Um, one of the core, at the core of what we want to do is educate clinicians and learners. And social media is a great way that we're able to do that. Um, and so this is just one example of a shared goal and kind of how we walk through that SMART acronym. 
Next, I want to talk about clear roles, and some of you may be a little mortified right now seeing someone do CPR on the screen, um, but I felt like this was a really good illustration of what clear roles look like and what not having clear roles, um, uh, could, could how it could be very detrimental. So in the setting of ACLS or maybe even just BLS, basic life support, um, there is a great emphasis on very clearly delineate, delineating what roles are. And even though you're in the midst of a, a very heated and fast-paced moment when you're trying to save an individual's life, um, at the end of the day, if you know your roles and your responsibilities, you have much more clarity. You know that you're doing something and working towards uh, an end purpose. You're not wasting cognitive energy trying to figure out what you should be doing or questioning whether or not you're contributing the way that you should. No, you have a very clear role of you're doing chest compressions, you're drawing up medications, you're calling 911. The importance of clear roles cannot be overstated. And this is something that I feel like teams, and in, in our experience, a lot of teams fail to do. And it's something that really just requires a little bit of time and a little bit of communication. A strategic pause might help you accomplish this. Um, but the impact, the growth, the benefit um, can be quite instrumental. Having clearly defined roles is um, actually a, a very um, important and evidence-based way to help um, reduce burnout. Uh, again, because you, you feel like you're contributing and, and, and to the overall kind of meaning and goal of the team. Uh, so one of the things that came from our strategic pause a few years ago was that we, we realized we were lacking clear roles. We had a lot of tasks and a lot of people doing tasks, but it was kind of up for grabs. There was no like, oh, this person is always doing this and that person is always doing that. And so we realized we needed to be a little more specific in what hats we wore, if you will. And so we created these tags, liter or figuratively, not literally, um, that said social media lead, technology lead, administrator and education and research lead. And by creating these titles, if you will, um, it, it essentially enabled and uh, empowered folks to take ownership of kind of the things within their domain. They knew where they were contributing and also they knew where others were contributing. There was none of this, well, I wonder if they're actually doing anything. No, everyone knew what each person was doing and we reported it out to each other at our, at our quarterly meetings. Um, and so this is a, a great way to, uh, again, alleviate frustration and help make sure everyone is working towards um, the same goals. All right, next is mutual trust. And I have to say, I picked a really bad icon for this because we're in the middle of COVID and this is a handshake, which is a big no-no. Um, if you're interested in some ways, some alternative handshakes, the American Lung Association has a really cool video. Uh, you can do like the elbow tap, you can wave, um, you can do a foot tap, you can do a bow. Um, it's a great video if you wanna look at it. Um, but for purposes of, the, purposes of this presentation, I thought everyone would understand what I mean by the icon. And, and I think this quote is really powerful. Trust takes years to build and seconds to break. And there's so much truth to that. Um, and that we have to build uh, trust and rapport among our peers. And how do we do that? And why, did, why is it so significant? I would argue if you don't have trust within a team, it's, it's probably not possible to have a high-functioning team. I think this is kind of a rate-limiting factor to becoming a high-functioning team. If you have it, great. You're, you're on the right track. If you don't have it, it's going to always hold you back. Um, and so how can we kind of cultivate trust within a group? Well, some of the key parts are reliability, integrity, honesty, having candid conversations 
um, and making making sure that um, you know we're, we're talking about how we feel about things. We're we're um, sticking up to our end of the the um, deal, if you will, and meeting deadlines. And again, this is something that takes time to build, um, but once you build it, it really really helps to propel the team. Again, this is something else that has been shown to improve well-being within a group. I won't talk much more about um, about mutual trust because I think it's pretty self-explanatory, but I will move on and talk about effective communication. So uh, effective communication, I, I think we all know what effective communication should be. We just are really not that great at it a lot of times. And we take things for granted and we assume things, which gets us in a lot of trouble. And, and we forget that um, things might not be as clear as what they are. Uh, for us and, and in our thought process. So I wanted to talk about just a couple of things that the Atrium Group, I think, does really well. And I think they're, um, if you implement these, I think they're going to, again, reduce some of that cognitive burden and frustration with always kind of emailing back and forth, back and forth about things. One is this concept of implicit communication. Um, and this is the notion that you're saying something before it's asked of you, before it's needed to be said. And kind of the classic example is if you email me and you need something from me, well, there better be a deadline on it or else I'm going to email you and ask, when do you need this by? Um, and that's just a classic example of implicit coordination. If you email me and you need something, I trust that it's going to be very clear what you need from me and, and what I need to follow up with. That is a, an example of implicit communication. Explicit is you email me with something you need. I have to email back and say, thank you, when do you need this by, and what exactly is it that you need? And, and so as you can imagine, going back and forth on emails like that um, or any sort of communication could be frustrating. Our group does not have to talk about when to set deadlines, like we just do it and, and we set people's calendars and we, we put meetings on there and it's, it's just part of, our, it's part of our culture, it really is. Secondly is standardization. Standardize how you take minutes uh, when you have a, a group meeting. Standardize the agenda that you make. Standardize um, uh, many of your documentation process and how, how you go about doing things. This is a focal point of our, our strategic pause each year as well um, because, again, we realize that if we can standardize something, we're wasting less cognitive energy trying to figure out how to do it and who's taking care of it. Again, it reduces frustration. And then also documentation, kind of how are you documenting things and keeping track of, uh, of what you're doing and making sure that you're doing it in a consistent fashion. Here are a couple of very real examples from Atrium. So uh, this is an email from me. It says, Atrium Retreat, please respond by 6.15. Um, again, it's very clear what's happening in this email. I've got a very long email about the retreat, and everyone's going to roll their eyes about it probably, but they know what they have to do, and they know when they need to respond by. And so um, that is, again, an example of implicit communication, and we all kind of operate on that wavelength. Uh, another uh, example is I, I just took a snapshot of our Dropbox where we keep our agenda and our minutes. And what I want to point out is that every single agenda and minutes has the same exact date format and, and title, right? And, and while this seems small, we've gotten to that level where we want to make sure things are standardized and we're no longer, um, you, you know, creating more confusion than we need to. It seems small, but those little things make a big difference in the long run. And, and so in closing things out, I'm actually going to show the SMART uh, acronym again. The fifth part of a high uh, or fifth principle of a high functioning team is having measurable processes and outcomes. And the reason I'm showing this SMART acronym again is because 
it highlights the significance of having that measurable goal in mind. It needs to be objective. Um, so again, keeping SMART goals in mind, but there are some other things that I think help make measurable processes and outcomes um, uh, more, uh, more impactful and, and more motivating for you as a team. One of the things that we've done at our strategic pause each year is a SWOT analysis. And a SWOT analysis you've probably heard of is just strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. And we walk through each of those as a group. What do we do well? Kristen showed earlier um, the Bitmoji icons and, and talked a little bit about how some people are more creative and good with graphic designs, others are, are better with social media, um, and so on and so forth. We really work to those strengths. We try not to force things that, that uh, are weaknesses. Um, and so we do try to identify weaknesses. Sometimes it's so that we don't spend too much time on them so we can funnel our energies elsewhere. For opportunities, where, where is the, the harvest ripe, if you will? We can go and really make an impact and reach someone or, or a group of someone's or educators, um, clinicians, learners um, that maybe we haven't tapped into and trying to identify those opportunities. And then threats. What are the biggest threats that are keeping us from um, reaching the outcome that we want to? Is it lack of resources? Maybe it's departmental support or funding. Um, is it a changing work dynamic? Maybe job functions and, and uh, job characteristics are changing. How do you work through that and, and um, still make sure to have a high functioning team? These are all types of conversations um, that are important to have. And again, I think they're best had at a strategic pause or, or an annual retreat. Thanks so much for listening into today's episode from the 2020 Mid-Year Clinical Meeting. It's features and content like this that make the ASHB Mid-Year Clinical Meeting the place to learn and to take your practice to the next level. Be sure to join us in December for more great clinical content.